It's Brian, your lunatic friend. I'm somewhere around 1994 in my stories of Jesus and music, at least my part of the story. I can't remember the exact dates now, but we spent most of 92 and 93 touring the Mercy Project, and I just finished telling you about the songs on Slow Revival. Touring around the country, I would meet a lot of singers, songwriters, and musicians in the local areas, many of whom had the impression that if I could just get a record out or just get my song on the radio, things would start going. But that's hardly the case. There was a lot of people behind the scenes. First, you have to have a manager that believes in you, because you can't walk into any record company and say, hey, I'm the greatest thing in the world. No, somebody has to say that for you. Even the Bible says that. Let another man praise you and not your own mouth. But it doesn't say you couldn't hire somebody to talk nice about you. And in some cases, you might have to. And then you had to have a record company willing to put up the money first. And they had to have a marketing team with a budget. And following that, there's a recording studio and at least one producer and several engineers. And if you think your song is perfect, think again. Wait till you hear what a really good arrangement sounds like. Someone who's got their finger on the pulse of what radio is going to be looking for. And then you can't even imagine how many singers, songwriters, and musicians are in this. First, we had some heavy hitters in the way of keyboards and arrangements. Robbie Buchanan. You'll have to look him up. He's been on everybody's record. And he was very expensive. Then there was Peter Wolf, who was a keyboard player, arranger, and producer. I remember this one time working at his studio in the hills above Simi Valley. And I happened to be standing in the control room when Peter Wolf gets a call from James Pankow. He was a trombone player, arranger, and songwriter for Chicago. Peter had done stuff with him, and Pankow asked him what he's working on, and Peter says, uh, I'm working on a gospel album. And then they both laughed, and that's when I realized that you can buy big time, but you can't get respect that way. I don't know why I didn't like Chicago that much after that. Now, I'm not gonna say that God was sticking up for me, but on January 17th of 1994, there was a 6.7 earthquake centered in Northridge, and sadly, Peter Wolf's studio collapsed and slid down a hill. And so too was Michael O'Mardian's house, damaged beyond repair. He'd already played on the Slow Revival project, and I think he moved to Nashville after that. Some of the other big-name musicians I'll just give you. The singer from Ambrosia, David Pack, was back after singing with me on the Mercy Project. Among the bass players was Neil Steubenhaus, Carlos Vega, and John Robinson on drums. John was playing with Barbara Streisand. But I would also have the guys in my own band on this record. Cedric Lee put bass parts on, and so did Randy Lee on keyboards. And drummer Steve Latin Nation was one of my favorite guys on the road. He was a rock and roller with thick shoulder-length hair, and when he played the drums, he looked like Animal on Sesame Street. He also happened to be a substance abuse counselor. It was his job to keep me away from the cookies. Now, for the album shoot, we met up around Six Flags Magic Mountain at a famous movie location. They had a little fake town there that they use in cowboy movies. We shot the album cover in the inside of a little Catholic mission, and it wasn't my idea to be barefoot in there, but that's the way it went. When I saw the full-color image, though, they were gorgeous. But then at the last minute, they decided they wanted to do everything in sepia tone. And when the album came out, it looked like it was a hundred years old already. I was not happy. Very similar to a brown paper bag. But then with a big record label, you have also a photographer and an art director. And as the artist, I am merely the hood ornament on the Pontiac. The best thing I could do is go make the music sound good. Now, thanks to my manager, Ray Ware, and tour director, Christopher Redner, along with our booking agents, Pam Kistler and and Holly Benyuski, we would start building the Slow Revival Tour. Now, to make this one of the most significant national tours for the year, we would add Bob Carlisle and Rebecca St. James. And I'm not sure, but I think Rebecca St. James might have still been a teenager. She was cute and effervescent and a great singer. And she was already developing an audience of her own. We would call it Slow Revival, but Bob and I called it the Two Men and a Baby Tour. She was fun to tease because she was good-natured about everything. And we'd need a sense of humor and the grind that would be the Slow Revival.
survival tour. There would be rehearsals, sound checks, and talking to every person that came after the show. And then there was long drives in our bunk bed bus. You haven't lived until you've slept in a coffin-sized berth on a bus. We would cover the U.S., everything in between Eugene, Oregon, and Fort Myers, Florida, and going to sleep in one town and waking up in another. I found myself singing, I'm in a slow revival from a rude awakening. One of my favorite memories was playing at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa. While the band was setting up for sound check, me and Bob were in a back room. It was where they kept the suit jackets for the ushers in the arena. There was at least a hundred bright yellow jackets with black lapels, and Christopher Redner, who was filming the tour, suggested that we wear them on stage. And that's when Bob suggested that we do a couple of Sam and Dave songs. And I was up for it because I was ready to sing anything besides the same old set list. Our guitarist was James Felix. He'd played with Andre Crouch and the Disciples back in the day. Played in a lot of soul bands, too. So it took almost no rehearsal to work up I'm a Soul Man and I Thank You. And just before going on, Bob would come up with the idea, hey, we could call it the Self-Righteous Brothers. And maybe this would work. After all, we were at the Maybe Center. That night, I think we scared a few people, but it would remain part of our set for a while. You can find a clip of that on YouTube. Just type in Soul Man and I Thank You, Brian Duncan and Bob Carlisle. But that wasn't the only antics we pulled on that tour. I would come out usually on Rebecca St. James set and sing a duet, but I have a hard time hanging around the backstage area without going exploring. And of course, I would find another closet room full of costumes. At the time, Barney the Dinosaur was popular, and lo and behold, there was a purple dinosaur suit in the back. If you don't remember him, he would sing this little cartoon, I love you, you love me, we're as happy as can be. Needless to say, I would don that Barney suit and come out and interrupt Rebecca's set. But you couldn't do anything to ruin Rebecca's presentation. The audience always loved her. And after this tour, I would come to realize, even as I was the headliner, treat the opening acts with respect, because there's a good chance you might be opening for them in a few years. Even on this tour, we have Randy Stonehill fill in for Rebecca on a few dates, because she was already starting to headline her own concerts. And three years from this concert tour, Bob Carlisle would write Butterfly Kisses. It would become a number one single in pop music, Christian music, and country music. It would be a platinum-selling record, and I would be opening for Bob in 10,000-seat arenas. But for now, you'll have to wait for those stories in coming episodes of Jesus and Music from my perspective. There's still a lot of years and a lot of records to cover. Let me say thanks for supporting Nutshell Sermons, the stories of Jesus and Music, and of course the two-minute sarcastic devotions. Oh, and at the top of the page at nutshellsermons.com, take time to listen to songs that didn't make the last record. Let me just say that I am now reaching a younger audience. I have a 14-year-old who wants to meet me after hearing one of my Nutshell Sermons. So I got that going for me, which is nice. And let me say thank you to you for listening and supporting what you believe in.